Hello, you lovely lot. I wanted to take a moment to share an exciting announcement with you all. I will be doing a live show for Happy Mum, Happy Baby at the podcast show in London on the 22nd of May. This will be a live episode of this very podcast featuring me and a very special soon-to-be-announced guest. Get ready for a candid conversation, unfiltered truths, laughs, invaluable non-judgmental advice and lived experiences. Dive into the complexities of parenting while juggling work, relationships and personal growth and we'll be talking beyond the baby years. As well as the live episode, the show will also include a Q&A with both me and my guest. Tickets go on sale this Friday the 26th of April at 10am, but anyone who is part of the Happy Mum, Happy Baby newsletter will be getting early access to tickets on Wednesday the 24th of April at 10am. To sign up to the newsletter and for more information about the event, please head to happymumhappybaby.com forward slash events. I can't wait to see you there. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love. And be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Welcome to a very special Christmas episode of Happy Mum, Happy Baby, the podcast. Uh, for the first time ever, I have bubbles in the studio, so who knows where this might go. Uh, and I've been given it by Mr. and Mrs. Christmas themselves, the founders of Lapland UK. It's Mike and Alison Battle. Hello. Hello. Thank you for having <laughs> us. I mean, I feel like we couldn't do a, a special Christmas episode without you two. Well, we are we are Mr. and Mrs. Lapland, and uh, I've even worn my Christmas red jumper today to try and be festive. And we've come from the forest, but where would we rather be? Although you're wearing a red festive jumper, because the last time yes. we were together with Tom, the yeah. three of you, who are all of the Christmas helpers essentially, were all in black. Yes, we were, and you took a photo of us to say, "Look at you three!" Yeah, so, so that's why I've made such an effort we'd today. We'd like to think we've upped our game. I bought champagne. Alison's got a red jumper. We're trying. How we're we doing? It was a, a, a hard four before, but hopefully we'll get a seven this time. <laughs> it's hard in the forest, you know. We have to, we have to just wear what we've got. Yeah. It's usually wellies and a raincoat. Yeah, <laughs> I love that. Well, I feel like I've kind of nabbed you at a really busy time of year as well, though. Is this is this just a nice little chance for you to have a, a morning off? Um, yes, yeah. It's uh, we went home last night, so we actually put some Christmas decorations up in our own house. So people always say you Guys. must be the Christmassy, you know, most Christmassy house. We're lucky if we manage to get a. 
Christmas tree up normally at home. But we did that last night. So, uh, yeah, we're feeling very festive. Yeah, and we've got an amazing team, haven't we, now? And, you know, yeah. we've, we've been around a while and we built that team up and they've really got the spirit of what we're trying to do. And, uh, you know, it's it's a... It's, quite joyful to be at site because you get an awful lot of parents and families and particularly those grandmothers they all come up to me and Alison they often want to hug Alison oh, they sort of do, they do the drive by where they whisper thank you so much for creating really? this so it's a really joyful moment you know. yeah well I guess because you have been working away all year it's quite nice to be there to see the magic absolutely yeah. yeah because we spend all year planning and yeah. there's nowhere else I want to be actually other than at that event once it's up and running because every family is different so yeah. it's just being there and seeing the absolute joy why would we want to be anywhere else you it's know so six true. weeks I love yeah, it. It is magical. It absolutely is. <laughs> Let's talk about you guys as parents today mm. uh, and celebrate you two in in that way. Because um, I want to go right the way back to, to welcoming your own brood because actually there are some similarities, but you've got one step further. <laughs> uh, so you've got four boys yes. with the, the newer set being a set of twins. Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> so if we were to have your scenario, we would have, Two boys and then identical twins on the end. So, yeah. So, uh, we didn't yeah. intend let's, it that yeah, way. Let's unpack yeah. that. Was that third? Because our third was like a happy accident. Was that Was that kind of like a... No, we, we actually, we went, we never cracked the girl thing. We went for the third, you know, yeah. two beautiful boys, went for the third for, the, for a girl and got twin boys. But we always said we Game wanted on. four children, so... <laughs> We'd always said from early on that four children is the number that we wanted. And I just, in my head, thought that would be a mix of girls and boys. You don't think four, you're going to get one sex. But, yeah, so we had the two. And I presumed when the twins were coming along, they were girls. I thought along they'd be girls. But, no, four boys. But it, it was quite a story when we found out, wasn't it, Alison? About the twins. Do you want to go back to the earlier? Let's go pregnancies? back, back, back. Let's go back, on the back, end. back. Yes. What, back when we met at eighteen. You mean that? Did you mean eighteen? <laughs> yes, yes. I was still at school, and uh, my sister had an engagement party, and her fiance. Well, actually, it was her twenty-first birthday. Her fiance brought his brother and friends along, and Mike was one of the friends. So I met him there. There we go. There Been we together go. ever since, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> Did you ever think, you know, looking into the future, that you would have a family in the life that you have now? Uh, we, we, yeah, we're very aligned in the sort of ambition of a family. I'm the fifth child of uh, five uh, Irish family, right. and uh, and Alison uh, is Alison, so she was very, very uh, <laughs> committed and couldn't wait. Did you to... come from a big family as well? No, so I have one sister. Right, she's two years older than me, but my family are very child focused. So Christmas was always twelve, fifteen people in the house. Big family holidays to Cornwall, which we kept going with aunts and uncles, grandparents, yeah. everybody. So there were there was always a crowd around. And my parents were very um, focused on us girls having the best, you know, in terms yeah. of family time and not financially necessarily, but just in terms of experience and being together. And to the extreme, for example, so when my sister was three, I think, mum and dad took her on holiday to the Lake District and she said no she much preferred Cornwall where we'd been the year before so they drove all the way from the Lake District down to Cornwall That's to madness. take her back to <laughs> so, <laughs> was Mike just stay there be yeah. grateful yeah. <laughs> that that said, that they, they were strict on expectations of behaviour and yeah. politeness and values but no we always had a big crowd but just one sister did that give you 
having parents who would do things like that, did that give you a, a, an air of sort of spontaneity within parenting, do you think, and kind of rolling with it? Um, for us, probably I saw that more from Mike's family because he was one of five. It was much more you do what you can and you roll along in a kind of a chaos. And I right. rather liked that, whereas my family being two, it's sort of, all oh, the girls have had a fallout, oh, you know, we ruled the house kind of thing. And whereas with five, there was, there was always somebody to go to and somebody else to yeah. play with. And I wanted that with my family. I wanted to have a kind of chaos and sense of nobody's more important than the other one and you all just sort of get on and do your best. Yeah, I guess with five, you kind of, you can't, you can't have that time to focus on the one. Things happen. Mm. Kids, like, you know, they'll, they'll sort it out. It's, it's like, well, I suppose it's like when you have your first child, your second child, third child. Every one of them experiences for them, the child, and for you is different because yeah. you've changed. Yeah. And uh, that's, that's it. You know, like, oh, it wasn't the same and so on. But it, you, you change. And, and the thing with uh, a big family, as Alison said, is that, you experience a big family. And I always remember as a, a child, as I used to say to Alison, you were always important and you were loved, mm. but you were never that important either. And if you went a bit, you know, huffity-puffity and said, oh, I'm not playing, everyone going, OK, because there's another three <laughs> other to play with. So so then you sort of soon go, oh, well, that's not really working out, is it? So then you get back in and play football or whatever it was doing, you know. So, yeah. so it's quite healthy to sort of probably construct to build a, a personality that feels... Uh, important, but not that important, which is probably where we all probably need to be. Yeah, that, that does sound good. <laughs> so when you two came together, like you got together and you got married, did you, when you thought about having a family, was it instantly a large family? That was the, the, the goal. Yeah, I think so. It was always in my mind four. So, really? Yeah, I had two, you were five. <laughs> this seemed to be a nice kind of balance. So, yeah, four was the number. Yeah. And did you, and, and did things happen for quite quickly? Incredibly. Oh, really? So we have been unbelievably lucky in, in that department. Every single time we said it's time for a baby, I was pregnant the next month. Yeah, to not the much point, warm-up games. No, to, to that's the, not yeah. fun, is it, no, Mike? <laughs> <laughs> I'd run on the pitch, the ball hit me on the back of the head and go in the game, go in the goal, and then I'd be back on the bench again. Yeah. <laughs> no, but to the point that I was an infant school teacher at the time and we planned it so that all of the boys were autumn starters because I knew that the older children obviously had an advantage in the classroom yeah. and all of our boys literally bang, 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 all autumn starters all within a month. Wow. Yeah. Oh, very, very I know, blessed. Very I know, blessed. incredibly blessed. No miscarriages, no interventions, everything yeah. just very, very lucky. But we did, it very did come lucky. to us though, in that we had four under four and yeah, a half. Yeah, so we were so busy. We were busy, but <laughs> getting them wasn't, wasn't a difficulty. Yeah. No. Although you did have some interesting. Uh, birthing um, adventures, didn't Doesn't you? everybody? <laughs> Doesn't everyone is... Every birthing story is special, isn't Were they it? all really, really different to each other? Yes, yes, very much so. So Michael, the first one, so he's 30 now. Um, I was quite nervous about giving birth, so I had decided that I wasn't going to be a martyr to it and I was going to have an epidural. I've mm -hmm. made this decision and... We live quite close to the hospital where he was due to be delivered and I had the TENS machines at home. So I thought I'll stay at home as long as I possibly can because it's going to be 10 minutes across the road. And in fact, my mum popped in at 6pm at night and I was having regular contractions, but I didn't want her to know because right. I thought she's only going to worry. There's nothing she can do about it. So 
made her a cup of coffee and went into the kitchen and was sort of leaning on the table and waited for her to go and put the TENS machines on and stayed at home till 11 o'clock. And then I said to Mike, I think it's time to go in. So he did the classic thing of got in the car, no petrol. Oh, no. So we had to go to this thing. <laughs> The hospital was only 10 minutes there walk, so we have to go out of our way to get to the petrol station, get to the hospital. And I'm four centimetres dilated, so right. I'm doing quite well. Yes, please, I'll have the epidural. So in I go, have the epidural. And then I had a very unusual and rare complication of an epidural called Horner's syndrome, right? which meant that basically, if you like, the paralysis went to my face and not to the bottom. Went up. Went up and not down. So it's an interruption of the neurological pathway between the brainstem and the sympathetic nerve system, which interrupts your face and in effect, as I say, I had Botox before anyone had ever heard of it. So I was yeah. frozen up there, but not <laughs> where I needed to be. And people were obviously aware. So, because you could you yeah. talk and make sounds and everything? Not really. Not really. It's quite slow. Really. Not really. So at that point, obviously, they couldn't top up the epidural because I'd had this reaction. So that they went to go and get gas and air canisters which hadn't been in my birthing plan I hadn't yeah. had that in my thoughts at all and the canisters arrived and they were empty they didn't have any gas or air and there was this really lovely West Indian midwife called Gladys and she had eight children of her own and all I remember her is her screaming in my face Alison this is the way of the Lord <laughs> this is the way of the Lord yeah. and I'm frozen on top got no pain relief at all because the gas wasn't working yeah. had to have my waters broken had to have an episiostomy and then um, out came Michael so it wasn't the best start no, and how long until your face came back? So that first night wasn't great. I remember not really being quite with it. I yeah. remember when he was born and they said, do you want to hold him and everything? I just remember thinking, Mike, you take him. And I couldn't say that, but Mike took him. And I remember the first night he had to go off into the nursery. So it was a sad start, really, and unexpected. It's that thing, isn't it? When you've got a birthing plan, you've got expectations of, even without a birthing plan, you have expectations of what that moment's mm. going to be like. And when anything else happens, it can be. Yeah, yeah. But within a day, you know, I was back to normal and you know, get on with being a new mum. Wow. <laughs> I mean, that, but that must have had an effect on the second time round, because obviously yeah. you would have been worried about. Exactly. Exactly. So within two years, we had our next son Matthew you've seen Matt he's six foot four very very tall mm -hmm. very long legs and single and single <laughs> yes <laughs> just, just putting it out there yeah. there you go yeah. <laughs> just helping out exactly <laughs> I'll tell him that um, so very you... tall good looking guy yeah, yeah. yeah. you'll find him got it all going on with the long legs that he had <laughs> even in, in my womb so when it was time for him to turn in the womb mm. he got his legs stuck so one leg was up in front of his face and the other one was downwards so the doctor drew a little picture and said he's called the dancing baby because he's like doing this weird ballet movement. So for that reason, I had to have an elective caesarean with him because I couldn't have delivered this position. Do you think you would have been quite relieved following the epidural of the time before? Were you, would, were you anxious about not what you would really, have experienced? Not really, because I hadn't put my headspace into the thought of 
an operation at all. Right. You know, Cesarean is a fairly big deal, isn't it? Yeah. So to me, I was still going to give birth naturally. Yeah. So it was quite um, worrying, certainly at that time. And I started reading up all about cesarean and so on. On the day, it was decided that I would have a spinal block. So in I went on the day. And <laughs> you remember this, Mike? I so the I doctor, The doctor... Um, <laughs> said, Mike, will you hold Alison while we do all the numbing and prepare for the spinal block? And then what happened? Well, it didn't go well for me. That's the main thing. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, yeah, I went a bit green and then uh, they made me sit down and all that type of no. thing. So complete lightweight. But uh, yes. anyway. So all that time yes. when the focus yes. goes away from mum, let's yes. come on, Dad, let's down, sort this out. Down. You saw the needle come in totally and that's rubbish, it. So yeah. basically... They put the um, the spinal block in and again, it didn't work. So again, I had some weird neurological reaction and all I remember it was as though I'd been stabbed three times. It was the pain was excruciating. Yeah. So they knocked me out straight away with a general. So that was Matthew's arrival. <laughs> Wow. Number two. <laughs> That's only number two. <laughs> Halfway there. <laughs> but, I mean, that must be such a surreal experience to wake up and your baby be there yeah yeah i don't remember it, obviously uh so you i think you... the whole experience would because you're you're in that medical sort of space yeah but it's that sort of twilight zone because it's not there's nothing wrong with you in that you're having a baby but it, it you sort of suddenly went into this like er moment where yeah. all this serious stuff and the energy just changed in the air and uh, everything became very serious. Yeah. And then your focus, well, not that I'm, I've got any much to do with it, but your your mindset is, is everything going to be okay? Yeah. You know, all of that planning, all of that is sort of, it, it just vaporises in also, front of you. Also, you have a, you're saying you don't have a lot to do with it. You absolutely do, because that's your wife who you're seeing mm. is giving birth yeah. to baby. But if she's being knocked out, and all, that that's a really scary place to be. That's not a very natural place for any of us, yeah. to, a situation for us to mm. be in. It's It's... I think Touchwood never had this, but it's it's you're getting that medical sort of uh, sort of demonstrative experience where it's like you're it's like an ambulance or something's happening to your partner and you can see your loved one there, but it, you don't really understand it, so you've got all these questions and but you can sense the energy that uh, stuff is going down or they are working to get you to a better place, but yeah. you're fundamentally not in a good place that you're working to. So it's a it is a, a not a nice experience, really. No. So what what was it like when you um, came round? Were you back in a nice nice area with your baby by your side? Um, yes, I was back on a ward. I was just in the local hospital, back on a ward, and there was a baby in a little plastic cot next to me. <laughs> I mean, and also, I guess when you come round for something, you, people don't know when you're going to come round, so it's not like someone's going to be right in your face going, yeah. hello, so yeah. this, this is... Yeah, but as Mike said, it, it almost becomes not about having a baby at that moment. You yeah. almost... It's just kind of survival in a way. You know, you just want to... It's a moment, yeah. ...get your partner through this moment and moment. then you can have the joy of the baby's fine and yeah. everybody's OK, but, yeah. And the medical staff are all incredible, but, but you do sort of go into this tunnel unknown. and then come out the other it's side of unknown. it and then your life has forever changed again because you have a child and all of yeah. that but the, the the tunnel bit wasn't fun no. for, for anybody involved because obviously particularly for Alison of course but um, you are in that sort of worry zone you're not really yeah. quite sure yeah. and as I said all of the, the sort of well-laid plans all just 
vaporize and you're just, can you get through this and come out the other side of it healthy and so on? All I do remember when I came round is that I thought he would be a girl because I've got a boy and now's the girl. <laughs> so I remember the, the midwife saying, what's the baby's name? And I said, Betty. Because <laughs> 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 we always thought Betty Battle. That sounds quite sweet. Betty Battle, Elizabeth. Yeah. I said, no, no, it's a boy. So... <clears throat> There we go. <laughs> I wonder, there's there's some great names that are yeah, unisex. I wonder if Betty could be up there mm. as kind yeah. of like a... Yeah. Here's yeah. Betty. Yeah. Yeah. But there's all those no names that you have as a couple that they just never land because yeah, no girls. the boy or the girl comes and I know. there we've, you go. We've had, what, like, girls the whole way through. But they're just, you know, there's never going to be a Poppy or a Sylvia. That's just never going to happen. My mum is Sylvia. Oh, well, we met a Sylvia <laughs> at school, yeah, so we thought a Sylvia or Sylvie oh, would be really... Sylvia is a very cute name, and you it's don't hear really it. It's cute, mm. but it wasn't to be. We had a Maxwell yeah. instead. Lovely. There you go. Yeah. All good. Yeah, all good. Those names are still running. <laughs> they, they, are, they are. Aren't they, G? <laughs> <laughs> um, so, obviously, you didn't. So, coming back around, you've got two at this point now. How did life change with the two? Well, I was very, very lucky because for the first year of my first five years of yeah. parenting, Mike yeah. worked at home. Right. I chose so to work at home. He chose to work at home, so he was stock market man back then, what would yeah. you call it? I think that's quite official, stock market yeah. man. Stock market. My journey was that I'd, I'd worked in the city in lots of you know big institutions and things like that, and I'd sort of seen the future pace of it, where a lot of these guys were on their second or third marriage and that they missed everything. Yeah. So I wasn't really having that. So I chose to go independent, and then I also chose to go home because I didn't want to miss one nativity. I didn't want to miss one tooth and all that type of thing so I as I said it's funny our story now that all these little moments that sort of give you little signposts to how your life would turn out but that was an unusual thing to do yeah and I think still now you know I think you're I think especially people that work in the city you get that job you're on that you know that treadmill it's on that treadmill and I think things like the nativity they're kind of they get lost it's Mm. just seeing that that is what you do Mm. But I think it's, I think in many ways I would champion Alison for this is that she was uh, a great uh, believer and uh, cognitive and, and conscious of it won't last long yeah. and you you only get these moments once so if you miss them they're never going to be there again yeah. so um, that I suppose had come to me as a, as a man and as, as a person. And uh, I think Alison's right. You know, this, this sort of fleeting childhood time that we have with our children is so special. And mm. uh, I know, obviously, people have to work and, and uh, make a living for their family and all that. But I was in a privileged position. I could come home and I worked from home. And, uh, and as I said, I never missed a thing. So how was that juggle, though, working from home? And with uh, you know, uh, having young ones in the house? Initially, it was uh, pretty good. Uh, it was a bit weird because you, you the, the, the nature of doing the work, you'd be sitting in front of like eight screens. Right. So then I would hear Alison struggling um, and then my instinct would be to go and help. But I knew I shouldn't be helping because I'm working. And so then, so that wasn't really very good. Um, so it, it was, we bobbed along 
quite well. In the end, um, to completely sometimes contradict myself, when the twins came, <laughs> I along, mean, twins were different. Yeah, different it was story. like Premier League of of chaos, you know. Yeah. So uh, I then uh, I got a, an office a little bit away from the house, and then I used to commute to that, and then come back. and And uh, in actual fact, that was quite a funny time because myself and Alison, we were sort of under the cosh of the four of them. We used to play this game like who's had the worst day. Oh, but, really? <laughs> <laughs> and there was a particular one where we just like cracked up laughing between us because um, I was coming back from London and the trains were all in a mess and I ended up basically nestling under this guy's armpit on the journey home. Wow. And it was like 400 degrees and all this type of thing. So then I come home feeling slightly sorry for myself, going, oh, you wouldn't believe what happened to me. And then Alison comes straight out going, all right, for you sitting there with your own thoughts, you know. <laughs> At least you can yourself. go to the toilet on your own, you know. <laughs> So, yeah, we used to play that game, but anyway. <laughs> I love the fact that sitting on the scene eating someone, someone else's sweaty armpit yeah. is better. Yes, yeah. yes. <laughs> That's the better option. Yeah. Yeah, all right for it you. Was, yeah. It was the freedom. That was the better option. The moment yeah. of, you know, you can choose to move down the train. You, you haven't got four little people that you're looking out for all day long. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the arrival of the twins. Well, mm. first of all, let's talk about finding out that you were having twins. Yeah. How, how, how was that? Well, that was very interesting. Again, because I went to our local hospital, walked over on my own and had the dating scan and they said February the 14th, one baby. So I thought I was having one baby. Yeah. And it was quite an old fashioned sort of device. Like a black and white TV. And, you know, so, okay, so February 14th, another baby on the way. And then they got in touch with me and said, uh, we're doing this. Um, sort of survey research into the nuchal scan um, where they measure the fold in the back of the neck to see potential for Down syndrome. Would you like to take part in this um, sort of research? And I said, yeah, that's fine. Would you go to King's College Hospital on Denmark Hill for it? So I said, oh, Mike, you know, you're going to have to drive me there because, you know, I'm not confident doing that one. So he came with me and they sat me down and they did the scan. And but, but now oh, we had like a plasma screen ever compared to a moment. Yeah, white. It was right. like so state, kit had of gone up. Art, yeah. state of the art technology. And I'm there being scanned. They turned on this monitor and as clear as day, it was like two little dolphins flipping around on the screen. Yeah, and, and, they <laughs> and, said, the, and the doctor said, you do know there are twins here, don't you? And Mike did that classic... I need a seat. I'm coming across as a complete lightweight in this. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's not boding well so far. How how many weeks were you by this point? (gasps) Sixteen. Yeah. Yeah. It was the third child, but in actual fact, so we sort of, you know, sort of, you get, you know, you know what you're doing, sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. But it was, yeah. I remember seeing because I remember seeing the two and going, "What is that?" And then the guy said, "You do know there's two uh, children here." But especially because I'd had the dating scan at twelve weeks, and I thought one baby, and suddenly no. There are two, so... And even by 12 weeks, they're both, you know, that's a substantial baby in there, you know. So I said, what what happened? And they said, well, one must have been hiding behind the other. Oh, wow. (laughs) Yeah. It was fascinating, actually, Alison's uh, reaction to that. Okay. Because she was ecstatic, absolutely ecstatic. (laughs) Yeah. And she was literally going along. Maybe it was shock. Yeah. But you were going <laughs> along. I've got the giggles. Yeah. They had to stop the scan. I know that because I was laughing so much. Really? You couldn't get any more reading from me. Yeah. Yeah, but you were ecstatic. And then all... I remember walking back to the car along Denmark Hill and I was saying to Mike, all of these people in all of these cars, they don't know I've got twins. <laughs> <laughs> 
is yeah. that is that life-changing moment that's yeah. about to, to happen for you guys. Uh, yeah. And what was so so remarkable about those that announcement was was so different from any other. So yeah. there are lots of children in our family, sixteen grandchildren on that side. So it's always lovely the announcement of a yeah. new baby, obviously. But when it was twins, it was a whole new excitement around mm. it to the point that I felt the responsibility of carrying them to get them safely delivered because there was so much excitement about these twins that it's were going to suddenly be yeah. in the in the family. Yeah. Well, how do the kids react to their being? They're very, Two new ones, very, very funny. So, in fact, when they were born, because I was reading my newborn diaries last night, Aww. ready for today, and I, I, I kept all, as I do. And um, when the boys came into the hospital to meet their new brothers, so Michael, the eldest one, quite sensitive. Hello, baby brothers. Oh. Matthew, the lad, want to come and live in our house? <laughs> <laughs> wasn't even to himself. It was just to himself. Yeah. Want to come and live in our house? <laughs> yeah, it's so, No, they've always been great. Oh, you're tearing up thinking about yeah, them. But no, they've, they've been fantastic as big brothers. In fact, all four of them are brilliant. But, um, yeah, so then suddenly we had four little ones in the house. So, well, how was the arrival after the, the yes. previous two? I mean, this, again, it's a, a brand new experience. We know that birth doesn't follow one set pattern anyway, but it's a... It's different again because it's twins. Yeah. So because I'd had this cesarean with Matthew um, only two years prior, they said it was the safest option to have an elective cesarean. Often twin pregnancies, the second one can become distressed and it becomes an emergency cesarean. So I was booked in for the uh, elective cesarean. And that was bizarre because we walked into the theatre holding two little nappies thinking there's going to be two little babies in here in half an hour, which is totally surreal. And, of course, I was very nervous about the spinal block again yeah. because that was what had been booked. And reading my diaries again last night, it said that I was sort of had to curl up in a ball and Mike wasn't invited in this time. <laughs> Probably <laughs> safest. Yeah. Yeah, outside. Um, and it, it said that I was curled up in a ball and I was shaking and I was sweating and I was oh. terrified as they were coming at me with the spinal block. And it said that the, the anaesthetist said, you're, you're to expect a small electric shock. And it said in my diary that I experienced three quite painful ones to the point that I shouted out, is this going wrong again? And then everything blocked and it was fine. So the spinal worked and I was awake. So they put the screen up and Mike was there and they do their thing. He was all dressed in his greens. So he's in his (laughs) surgical greens and a fetching little cap. And... um, yeah, so then they, they do their thing and out came baby number one, six mm. pounds, three ounces. Out came baby number two, six pounds, 13. That's a good mm. weight yeah. for twins, isn't it? Yeah, yeah they yeah. were good. They there were is good. A, they, it was um, completely surreal as well because I was there in the medical greens and they handed you one baby yeah. and you had that and you had another arm free and then they handed you the second baby. So instantly yeah. you're in yeah. the mode I've of, got that know. photo. Yeah. It's brilliant, Mike yeah. and his greens with one under each arm. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, oh, wow. You know, this is, yeah. you know, this is this is new. <laughs> you're really showing you what the juggle's going to be like. Yeah, yeah. yeah. One, and okay, you ready? And the second one. <laughs> Did it feel really, really different? A hundred percent. Everything about it. So... Mm-hmm. I had breastfed the other two boys and intended to do with these, but I never managed to synchronise breastfeeding. And though I kept it up for six months, it was always one and then the other. You know, everything was different about two. It it wasn't like going from a singleton to two children. It was a whole new world. It was a whole sort of management of risk and 
choosing almost. Well, because all, people always say about twins, they just literally would like to run in opposite directions. They did what, what do you all do? the time. And we would we would literally do a quick risk analysis of that one. If we get <laughs> yeah. to that one, he's going to fall down the steps. But if we get to that one, he's only going to fall on the grass. And we'd make these kind of <laughs> split yeah, you, you, decisions. Your brains about, would be pr- yeah. processing all of that and going, grass, concrete. OK, I'll go for the concrete. He can fall. <laughs> and, and even with feeding them, I remember thinking, because one would be crying all the time waiting for his turn, and I had to change my mindset to think, he's singing to me, you know, he's calling to me, so that because you have to be relaxed to be breastfeeding and yeah. to be stressed to think that baby's crying to be fed, I had to change the way I was thinking of his communication. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, how did you balance that with the older two? Who were still under yeah, four? Still under four. So for that first year, we had four of them in the house because Micah was going to start school in the September and the twins were born in the January. So we had that long year and summer of four of them at home. Long, was, year. <laughs> long, long year. Long year. Mike was at home. So that made all of the difference, really. Yeah. Uh, my parents lived at the end of the road. So that was also the reason we'd bought our house, to be near them. Mm-hmm. Um but other than that, I didn't want any help. I'm not somebody who wants people to see my chaos. I want to get on with it privately. So it was That's interesting. Do you feel, because I, I feel like this, sometimes when there's other people around in my chaos, it makes me view my chaos differently. Yeah. I'm viewing it from their yeah. position and that's Absolutely. actually not helpful Absolutely. as a mother or a father. Yeah. So the hospital said that um, a sort of a, a nursery nurse, a, a young sort of trainee could come to the house and help and sort of see what it's like for young children to be growing and so on. I said, I'm sorry, I really don't feel I can cope with anybody else in the house. I just want to get on with it in my own mess, in my own chaos, in my own way, and and we'll sort of get through. But I do remember thinking in those early days and years that a successful day was fed, bed, no injuries. (laughs) (laughs) That was the criteria. The the, the way it used to work with Alison, though, which was um, very typical, Alison was very cognitive as as always that this isn't going to last and in many yeah. ways although she was you know romantically breastfeeding at sunrise she really was in that moment going this this won't last and yeah. I, I will probably ache for these days one year you know in years to come and the other one i suppose i i always think with um life generally uh, uh, g is that it's it's all about balance and yeah. when we used to come home well i used to come home let's mm-hmm. say after you know being under the armpit then what i used to say to alison was okay i'm here now disappear for an hour because she'd be you know at the door like oh, thank god you're back and all of this so then i would say i'm in full control you can just do anything you like so then alison would disappear upstairs have a bath or whatever and i said i'll see you in an hour but alison being alison within 40 minutes she'd be coming down the stairs again yeah. and I'd be saying you don't need to do this I'm, I'm you know you've got another 20 minutes plus whatever where I don't well I'll just take complete control of this yeah. but the the thing I suppose in some ways the advice I always give to young families is it's about that moment having that exhale and if you just keep going harder and harder and harder then you get really stressed out and it was even Alison just having that moment to exhale as I said have a bath just relax yeah. watch something on the TV feel a bit like yeah. Alison and again fact, and then what, come back what again. you ultimately did is you enforced it so we actually had Thursday nights from 6 p.m. and all day Saturday until 2 p.m. right Mike took complete control and he didn't want me around you know it was like don't this is this is your time and do what you want even if you just stay in bed until 2 whatever Mm. but what was very remarkable about that is one it gave me the balance I needed just to sort of have a bath or 
go to the loo or whatever, you know, just to be me for that short time. But one particular story about that, which was where Mike was really remarkable, is on the Saturday mornings, it became swimming lessons. Right. So he used to take four young boys off on his own to the local swimming bars. I'm fighting back now. And another thing, another thing, yeah, this is a good story. <laughs> so another thing with twins is you can't do what you do with a singleton. So yeah. I couldn't take them swimming, for example, because you physically can't safely manage two children at once. So they sometimes had to wait for a class to begin for them to go safely into something like swimming. So when they could join the swimming class, Mike would take them on a Saturday morning, so all four boys. But the twins particularly, I remember um, there was one occasion and they were in the swimming class. They must have been two and a half, three, whatever age you're allowed to join a group swim session. And the teacher had all these little toddlers really swimming along, you know, across the, the width. And Mike noticed that Christian had become discombobulated and had gone face down oh. and the uh, swimming instructor was still moving forward with all the other children yeah, no hadn't noticed that, the, that Christian was, was still down. face down and uh, Mike actually jumped in fully clothed over the side <laughs> of the barriers and hauled the baby out. Yeah. Oh him, my yeah. gosh. Well I just thought I could shout about it, but I remember processing. I'm not a panicker. There's quicker than just yes. doing it. Is so, yeah, I remember I was in my jeans and I just went bang in <laughs> and uh, pulled him out. And Apparently everyone good. cheered. Yeah, they all fact, cheered me at the end. So, but yeah. what was the instructor doing? Uh, God knows. But, you know, that's the nature of life. There are, you know, uh, risk assessments, in I suppose. Instinct, but... instinct as a parent is yeah. just to... Protect yeah, and yeah. save. Well, <laughs> but anyway, those Saturday mornings, they were quite eventful. Yes, they were. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Let's talk about sort of creativity, imagination and play, because obviously that's a huge part of what you do mm -hmm. work-wise now. But with the kids growing up, how important was it for you, for them to have, like to be free with their imaginations? Very much, because my kid's very creative, so um, we would do all sorts of things with them, but I would bring home what happened in the classroom as well. So whatever I've been doing, I would bring home a version for them to do at home. So we were always you know, painting and baking and all of those lovely old-fashioned things. But, um, yeah, I think creativity and play, we, we weren't really into... or we didn't have screen-based things. The boys have never had a television in their bedroom, even ever. Never. Mm. So things like that. It was always about storytelling. I'm hugely into reading. So we'd be going to the local library all the time. It was imaginative play and 
tents in the garden and camping in the garden and all of those kinds of things. And yeah, I think I think they but had a, a classic, old-fashioned kind of swallows and Amazons mm. childhood, really. Cornwall in the Lake District. That's all we did. My, yeah. My my childhood. Um, I grew up in a family where uh, you know. Fairly humble, and uh, I suppose that sort of creative power that I had wasn't really recognised as something of particular value. Yeah. So um, I sort of had this journey where I sort of felt I had something that had to come out inside me, but I because the world was all very uh, linear, very yeah. you were either bright or, or thick, let's say, if you were a great reader and things like that, then I had no real reason to continue to think that, if I'm honest. So I protected that. So then, um, I, you know, I lived, lived my life and, and so on. And some of this uh, creativity has ultimately come out now. Yeah. And I feel more me than I've ever been in my life. So taking those lessons as a father, I was always uh, looking at the boys to sort of get insights as to what was their magic inside of them and I, and I still do that to this day and when they're not confident and so on and so on I, I'm always there championing them and even the the creativity thing they most of them have got it and uh, I always say to them you you do it quite easily so mm. therefore you don't value it and they went no I can draw I can paint I can do all this stuff but I said that's amazing what you're doing mm. so my journey I suppose like all of us in life but that's probably been my journey is that uh, I sort of had a, a journey to, to find me, let's say. I suppose we're all doing this. But um, my thing is, as a father, is to try and support them at an earlier stage because although I sort of made it through to my happy dad, let's say, um, a lot of people might have been, you know, not made it or been crushed by the system as such, and then they end up not being that happy. So, And yeah. being who you're meant to be, you're very happy. Let's go back to Christmas. When you were kids, what did Christmas look like? As a child? As a child, um, so we would, I shared a bedroom with my sister and Father Christmas would fill a pillowcase. So mm. I even now remember that moment of waking up on Christmas morning and looking to the end of the bed and seeing that bulging sack, you know, <laughs> pillowcase. I, I think it's something that never leaves you. Mm -hmm. And as I said, mum was passionate about hosting Christmas dates, still does, 83 years old. <laughs> um, so... We always had lots and lots of family and my nan was very generous so we would all have our sort of smaller presents and then she would reveal the big present and we'd go into the kitchen and there'd be a bike or a, an organ or something. So um, it was always very busy. Uh, we would go and see dad's family who lived in Lewisham on Christmas morning. So dad's family in the morning, mum's family for the rest of the day and lots of chaos and mad games and presents and yeah, what, what the dream of Christmas, I guess. Yeah, yeah. What was yours like, Mike? Um, mine, I think, was slightly other in that it felt quite magical. And uh, there was a sort of, again, an atmosphere in the house that wasn't normally there. And, you know, you'd had all the present thing and your brothers and sisters were all there, you know, roaring around, um, engaging with what they got under the tree and all this type of thing. But it felt very different from normal life. So yeah. I think... Uh, we always say that when um, people uh, come to Lapland or Christmas generally is that as much as it's about the children, we all remember being children and mm. we all remember those moments when you almost you can feel it, that complete innocence. And uh, and then 
you know, sadly, things change, I suppose. But we always remember that. And yeah. uh, it's almost you grieve for that part of your personality. So there's something about Christmas that is... Uh... Well, I'm buying into the magic. Yeah. You know, yeah. I think one of our favourite things, is obviously we've been to Lapland this weekend, one of our favourite things is seeing my kids interact with... With the elves, you know, yeah, and yeah, things yeah. like that, and that they yeah. jump a lot. Your children, oh, my they love a jump. Yeah, like yeah, a jump. yeah. They do. They they love a jump. Yeah, <laughs> jumping with happiness. I remember uh, dropping Buzz off at school one day, and his teacher went to him, "Still bouncing, Buzz." <laughs> I was like, "Well, that's just you know that is... movement. I like it. Skipping and jumping. <laughs> so much energy. Yeah. It's great." Yeah. So, having had um, the magical Christmases that you had, that is full of the chaos and the magic. Um, did you sort of come together when you had your own kids and kind of go, well, what do we want this to look like? And how did you create those Christmases? I remember when we uh, we bought our house and we were renovating it. And the first year that we were in it, it wasn't quite ready for Christmas. And I turned the front room into a grotto. I remember getting <laughs> yeah, I remember putting was red, red sugar paper that I'd stenciled with stars and, and we covered the whole of the front room in this grotto and all of the children in the family saw the nieces and nephews came into our grotto <laughs> so I suppose it was on the cards from early yeah, on really yeah, there was definitely something some... there we wanted to make magical moments right from the get go yeah. you know, we were very well I was very conscious of wanting to make these memories yeah. when the children were small and, and even back in the day when we started going on the Father Christmas visits which um, has ultimately led to Lapland because I couldn't find anything that I felt matched the importance of this moment and we would go to grottos up and down the country and even overseas I would have little notes written about the boys because there was no personalisation and they didn't know the children's names or anything so I'd write all these little notes and the poor elf going in I'd say make sure Father Christmas yeah. gets that before we come through the door and make sure he's ready so I was very keen to give them this sort of childhood magic at Christmas time. I guess if you're you're, you're heavy on, on wanting to create this magic and actually then you're going to meet Father Christmas like everyone does. People talk about it, going to see Father Christmas. If that Father Christmas doesn't marry up to the magic that you've created, oh. if it doesn't feel mysterious well, and, well, you know, mythical. Alison's um, is an um, amazing champion for children. I'm probably a, a born-again champion, so I'm slightly passionate about it almost more than Alison even, because Alison is the real deal. I'm just a turn-upper and being a, a chirurata. But I always uh, remember with, with Christmas with us is that it, it never reached what or experiencing it with what... Uh, the, the level or the scale or the importance that we thought of it as. And we have this phrase now where we say, if you're a believing child or or, have, or you're lucky enough as a, as a mother and father to have that or grandparents, it should be in your love filing cabinet. And in your love filing cabinet is your wedding day, is your mm. graduation day, is your big birthdays with an O or something like that. When these are moments in your life yeah. and we feel this believing moment or having a believing person in your family of that believing moment is in that love filing cabinet. So when Alison and I first set out to, um, to, to, to do what we do now is we, we didn't want to just polish what had been there. We want to completely and utterly revolutionise it yeah. to put it in its rightful place. Yeah, that's totally what you've done. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Obviously, your, your kids are now all grown up. Of this, of what you've done so mm. far in parenting, because it's not finished mm. yet, what has been the most challenging time to navigate? Physically, when they're young, obviously, because the demands made on you and your time. But to me, I think probably those teenage years when they're learning to drive, when they're out 
outside of your control. The driving thing. I was talking to someone about this the other day. The fact they can get in a car and drive somewhere. Yeah. Mm. It's a, it's a safety element yeah. for me because all the time they were in the house, they were tucked up, they were cosy. I knew where they were. They were safe in bed. But when they start venturing into the world, yeah. for me, that was a challenge. I was the mum that never slept until I could hear the last key and they'd all arrive mm-hmm. back home. Not just driving, but being in London, you know, you worry about them on the streets and so on. So all of that, what's going on, clubbing. And for me, that was the most challenging time. So I'm happy now that they're towards the end of the 20s and into 30s and hopefully, you know, um, mature enough to handle all that life can throw at them. So on the flip side, they've all, you know, they've flown the nest. Yeah. How does that feel? In one way, it's, it's... Fantastic. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely amazing. We're starting with bubbles. I mean, life is good. Fantastic in that um, we're free. You know, we're still relatively young because I'd had the four boys by 32. So we have, you know, we've got our health, thankfully, and we can do what we like now. So we've got so much freedom. The other side of the coin is... You miss them, obviously. So my greatest time is when they all come home for the roast on the Sunday and they are still all in London. So we see a lot of them and two of them in the business all the time. So (laughs) we we are very, very lucky. But, um, yeah, I I think we're really enjoying this stage in our lives now because we feel we've done a good job with the boys. You know, (laughs) they've flown the nest and they are our greatest joy, still always will be. But we've got ourselves again now as well. And, you know, you have this time where you are just in the trenches doing the parenting and now we can go on holiday without them although they often all come with us and we do that where are you going oh i think we'll come yeah Yeah. we do that every year as well and now the girlfriends come as well so (laughs) nine of us go in anywhere which is really lovely but but it's as it should be gee you know they the little birds have uh, flown the nest and that's as you would want it to be you know they've developed the skills and developed the themselves and they're, they're ready for the world so you know it's that in a moment of a parent where you 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 let go, let go and that even though they haven't got the stabilizers on they carry on and pedal the bike and Absolutely. that's and they also the thing I, I love um, this this stage and I really do enjoy the stage is that they sort of become friends they they I've always I suppose played the role of very committed to being a father um I think um there's lots of uh, friends they have yeah. and there's a, they've only got one dad so I've always think uh, I'm the dad or the father, and also I see it very um, much a role of being responsible to mm-hmm. to to try and guide them as best I can. Um, but now there's nothing great greater when I you know go to football or have a pint with them or whatever, and it's it's great. And they're chatting about their lives, and I'm chatting about my life, and we have a sort of high level conversation. But it's it's great. I love it. Yeah. And what about you two as a couple? Because obviously you got together at eighteen, Footloose. You know, lovely, lovely time. All that freedom. A long time ago. <laughs> yeah, and then but then you've gone through you know the trenches if you like. You've had children close together, and you know your life essentially does become about bringing those children up. And now you're back to being you two again. How has that? How has that been? Uh, well, I know you've got the business, but... I, I would say, for me, when you um, have children, is that you don't lose who you are. No. You become more. 
And that is part of the challenge of becoming a parent is it's not, you, you know, there's parts that you look back of your you know, younger years and you think, what was I doing? But at the same time, you actually become more yeah. and you learn more. And that's and, and there's nothing like growth to feel alive. So I feel it's, it's, it's really enriching. And I've had my best friend Alison with me through this whole journey. So, yeah. you know, we like every couple we get, I'm sure we get on each other's nerves a lot, but I wouldn't have had it any other way. Genuinely, it's, I, it's I been, think we're probably like you and Tom, actually. G in that we don't know it any other way. Yeah. You no, know, we've always been there for each other. So this is the next chapter and we're both thoroughly enjoying it. Yeah, and you've got to, you know, suck the juice out of that bit. You know, yeah. the, the, there's the early years chapter, there's the, yeah. the early school years, there's the this year, the, and now ours have all flown the nest. And as Alison said, we've got we've got time and inclination and as a blessed hope with health that we can do stuff. So yeah. let's suck the juice out of that bit. Absolutely. And now I'm going to start my foundation. Did you Are know you? This? No. What's the foundation? Yeah, so we thought about what do we have that other children's charities don't and it's obviously Father Christmas yeah. so we are starting our foundation now and we are going to be the company that puts a Christmas stocking on the bed of every child in a British hospital or hospice on Christmas Eve that's actually made me cry <laughs> oh my god that's so gorgeous so starting that's this year that mark. <laughs> Because so we've got that, Father Christmas, that will be we? That will be my legacy, hopefully, if your child is in hospital, that plan's there. So we're starting this year with Evelina Children's Hospital and Lewisham Hospital, and the plan is to get 200,000 children in hospitals around the UK. Because oh we feel huge responsibility to represent Father Christmas yeah. and the values that he stands for. Mm. It's not really about that man. It's about Father Christmas, you see, and no, the No, but you've around. created mm. this world, and it's about taking that out to other people that... You know, can't get. Look at us! Isn't that gone? champagne <laughs> gone. <laughs> That's just so gorgeous, absolutely gorgeous, so gorgeous. Okay, if you could write a letter yeah. to anyone about being a parent, who would it be to, and what would you say? I would write it to my boys, mm. and I would thank them for making me a parent and giving me the gift of motherhood. And I would say to them, you don't know what joys are still to come your way in parenting. And there's never a right time to be a parent. So maybe this is just me wanting to be a grandmother. <laughs> <laughs> there's never a right time. So, you know. But my, my, grand, for my granddad, for example, he had my mum when he was 17. Oh, but on yeah, the yeah. back of that, my mum still had him when she was 80 years old. Yeah. Because he died at nearly 98. So I think... All this planning everybody nowadays is so sort of, I need to do that before I've done this. I think children come when they come and they are the greatest blessing whenever they arrive. So I'd write to my boys and I'd say, thank you for making me a mother and enjoy parenting when it comes to you because you won't understand the joy it's going to bring you until it happens. Gorgeous. Very good. Um, who would I write a letter to? I, I would probably write a letter to those young fathers who are probably full of testosterone and, um, you know, trying to get it right as such. And uh, I think they need to probably understand that they are here to be a partner and yeah. to support. And uh, the early stage, you might not be able, you know, of course, you can't help out physically, let's say specifically, like breastfeeding and things like that. But at the same time, you're there to support your partner. And as, as we've talked about many times, I think the greatest... Um, thing I probably did for Alison was to give her a little bit of balance in her life through that time and then also a sense when we were 
um, going through various twists and changes as a as a family was that it, we were doing it together. Yeah, we were always in it together. We weren't judging each other. We were always in it together, and uh, and we sort of find our way through. And the the thing about um, as I was saying earlier being a father is that you don't lose who you are you just gain more yeah. so it's a, it's an opportunity and looking after uh, little people and uh, uh, developing as a person will make you feel alive it mm -hmm. will be the love of your life so slightly get over yourselves and uh, and in, and enjoy um, the, the magic of, of being a father okay so we end the podcast with you completing three sentences so the first one is being a mum means and being a dad means being a mum means waking up every day with gratitude and pride. Being a father means you're special. You, you're special to a certain group of people and you have to take huge responsibility for that role that has been uh, that you, you've created. Yeah. Next sentence. Since having children, I... Since having children, I have had my world expanded in so many wonderful ways that I wouldn't have experienced otherwise. So I've embraced every chapter of the boys' lives, be that going to university. One of them, well, they've worked overseas, they've studied overseas, and every time it's just expanded our lives, and I've really found it joyous to be mm. on the journey with them. So they've expanded my world. Uh, I, I've found more in myself than I even thought I had. And uh, that's been quite a journey, really. And uh, these are the relationships, uh, Alison, aside of my life. And finally, I'm happy when? They're all home for a Sunday roast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're, we're all at Palace and we're 2 nil up. <laughs> <laughs> as a father of yeah, adults there you go. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much honestly what you do is you just create pure magic and uh, so thank you uh, thank you Mike Alice. Thank, thank you, you so Happy much thank you so much no more tears Jean. no more tears no it's all, it's all good but if any, I can help in any way next year just of course thank, thank you. you so much thank you Thanks. happy Jean. Christmas everybody Merry Christmas Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay authenticity guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, 
you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.